You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie, where you can still go today. Go to MyBookie.ag, use the promo code UGA, and right now, guys, they're actually sweetening the offer a little bit. They're going to give you up to $200 in cash if you create a new account at MyBookie today and deposit Whatever it is that you feel like you want to deposit, but they will hook you guys up, so make sure to do that today. But I am your host, Tyler, and back with me once again, Charlie. This is weird. It is our last regular season mailbag episode of the season. I feel like the season just started like three days ago, but here we are at the end of the regular season going into Georgia Tech 8 week. I know. It's coming to an end very quickly. Do you have big Thanksgiving plans this weekend? Uh, just the usual family stuff in town. Are you more of a Thanksgiving or Christmas holiday person? Mm. I think I'm more of a Thanksgiving person because there's more, there's like football, there's basketball on. There's usually, for my opinion, better food than what you get during Christmas, depending on what your family does. Well, it's, you can make your own food. Yeah, yeah I know. Stuff but you, that you would like. But families, I'm usually not the one in charge of making whatever, and I'm not the one people care about if I'm happy with what the food is, so I kind of just am there. So usually the food that I actually like is more on Thanksgiving. So yeah, I think I'm a, I think I'm a Thanksgiving guy. You strike me more as a Christmas person. I like both. You like food. I like for it to be warm. Yeah, but see, Thanksgiving, Christmas, neither one is especially warm. You're a 4th of July person at heart, let's be honest. That's really what you are. Yes, yes, you're, I am. You're an old late gal from back in the day. But, all right, we do have a lot of questions to get to, Charlie. I don't think anyone wants to hear us talk about what our favorite holiday is. So, where are we starting today? All right, our first question is from Zach. He wants to know how much consideration Kirby deserves for SEC Coach of the Year. Zach says he remembers a lot of fans proclaiming us to be the 2019 LSU team who would drop off a cliff this year. But we're only one win away from a perfect regular season after losing 15 players to the NFL draft last year. So what's your take on Kirby being considered for SEC Coach of the Year? Trent, if a guy like, I don't know, let's say if Brian Kelly, let's say Kirby, if we end up beating LSU in the SEC Championship game, but Brian Kelly wins SEC Coach of the Year, how does that sit with you? I mean, No. Exactly. But they're but not going to give it to Kirby. He just won the national championship. Like, they're going to pick somebody why? else. Why? Why? If it's, if it's the coach I'm of not the saying, year. I'm not telling you why. You can't explain why. I know. You're why. right. But they're going because... to be, Yes, I know. He's not going to win it. You're right. You're not wrong here, Charlie. Everything you're saying is correct. I just, I'm just going back to my, my notion of coach of the year. To me, it's who did the best job as the coach. And I know they want to spread the love around. I get that. But... I guess this is more of a thing for me where I've always hated how the Coach of the Year award is voted on. So, Zach, I'm with you, man. Zach, it seems like from your question, you think Kirby Smart should be in very heavy consideration, if not outright win the award. And I am 100% with you, but Charlie's right also. It's rarely about who the best coach is. It's really not. I mean, I guess I get it to a degree why it's not that way because Nick Saban or Kirby Smart would win it pretty much every single year. And you don't want to just give it to the, whoever wins the SEC championship. Just give it to that coach. I guess I see that point. But I think there's an argument to be made 
that Kirby Smart should win the coach of the year. I mean, you guys know, I told you a couple weeks ago, I think Kirby Smart is the best active coach in college football. If I'm building a college football program and I'm looking 10, 15, 20 years in the future, there is not one single coach on this planet that I would take over Kirby Smart. Not Nick Saban, not Dabo Swinney, not Lincoln Riley, not any of those guys. Kirby Smart is my guy. But let's just stop for a second here, Charlie. Let's pause and reflect on what Kirby Smart has done just this season alone. If if we're not going off who's like the better coach, who has the better resume, all those kind of things, we're just going on who's done the best job this year, let's just pause and reflect on what Kirby Smart has done this year with this Georgia football team. Let's not forget, Charlie, we had 15 players drafted off last year's national championship team. Five of those first-round players, it tells you those are impact players, you lose your defensive coordinator on top of that. You replace three other coaches on staff. Your best player in Jalen Carter misses, I mean, roughly half the season. Your best wide receiver in A.D. Mitchell played one game and one snap in the second game of the year. You've got two true freshmen that have been starting on defense at times, at least half the year. And then depending on how you want to count it, at least seven new starters on defense. Then you lose your best run defender and heart of your defense in Nolan Smith. And this man, Kirby Smart, is on the doorstep of back-to-back undefeated regular seasons, which has only been done twice in the entire history of the Southeastern Conference, guys. And people want to sit here and say the argument against Kirby as a great coach has always been, well, he just has better players. If he only had, you know, the players that Baylor has, if he had the players that Ole Miss has, then he wouldn't win national championships. He wouldn't win the level that he is winning at. No kidding, guys. No kidding. No one is going to consistently win at national championship levels if you don't have good players. That's true of every coach in the history of of the game. But here's my response to the whole recruiting argument against Kirby. How in the hell do you think those better players ended up in Athens? It was Kirby Smart. He is the one who built this recruiting infrastructure and got those dudes to Athens. I am so tired of people not factoring in recruiting as a major part of a college coach's job. In fact, what most people do is they use the word like recruiter as like a pejorative rather than a compliment to a coach that he's actually doing what he's supposed to do. That's a huge part of a coach's job. Why is Dan Mullen not the head coach of Florida right now? Because the dude can't recruit. It matters. It's at least 50% of the job. And Kirby Smart is the best in the country at that. And I'm also tired of this scenario that Kirby Smart's not an X's and O's guy. Are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, guys? You've heard me talk about this the past couple of years, guys, with our offseason. We do the scheme theme stuff. And I go into detail, usually it's a couple episodes each of those months, dealing with what we do. I try to give some of the offense, but I focus a lot on the defense because Kirby Smart, guys, has been a pioneer in a lot of the stuff you're seeing on Saturdays across the country. Simulated pressure for one of them are the mint front that we use. These are things that Kirby Smart and his staff have brought to the forefront of college football and is being copied all over the place. So that is a ridiculous argument. This argument that recruiting doesn't matter is a ridiculous argument. If you just stick to this year, I don't even care about what happened last year. If you look at this year, you look at who we had to replace, the injuries that we've had to deal with, and the fact that we are about to go undefeated in the regular season, how does Kirby Smart not, not deserve that award? How does he not? How does Brian Kelly, just because it's his first year at LSU, they got a lot of talent at LSU, by the way, too, guys. They've been recruiting really well for years and years and years. How does Brian Kelly possibly deserve that award over Kirby Smart? How does Josh Heupel deserve that award over Kirby Smart? I mean, I know Tennessee's been down and they had a good year, so I, I get because I know that's how people vote. They, usually what the voters do when they vote on this, at least and this is how it usually works out, is they tend to vote for the coach who had the lowest, his team had the least expectation, the lowest expectations come this in this season. He exceeded those expectations. That's usually how it's awarded. So if that's what you want to do, that's fine. If you want to vote that way, that's fine. I would just argue, let's rename the award. Instead of calling it the coach of the year, let's call it the coach who did more with the lowest amount of expectations. Let's just call it that award because that's really what it's come to. Because if it is talking about the coach of the year, Kirby Smart, a thousand percent has to be in the conversation. And I truly, I know I'm a George guy, so, you know, dismiss me if you want. I think Kirby Smart should win the award. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but I just, you know, if you're going to ask me the question, sorry, Charlie, I know I went off on a little, a little tangent there, but I do feel that Kirby Smart gets disrespected and overlooked far too much when it comes to the, the best coaches on the national scene. 
I think that happens in a lot of professions, but I'm sure Kirby Smart would rather win another national title than be SEC Coach of the Year. So I think you're correct. You sound like you're speaking from experience there. Do no, you feel I like mean, you don't get the love you deserve at work, Charlie? No, I just think that that happens a lot, but it I, don't, does. I don't think he cares. So we'll He move does on. not care. He yeah. does not. We'll move on to the next question. Our next question comes from Mir. Mir wants to know if you think Georgia performed how you expected them to. Did they underperform? Overperform, or they definitely didn't overperform. Definitely didn't overperform on Saturday, Charlie. Or was it somewhere in the middle? I will say it was very windy in Lexington. It, it definitely was cold. factored in. It definitely factored in. Yeah. So. I uh, I think somewhere in the middle uh, is probably where I would go here. I mean, you can make an argument for underperformance. I mean, look, Kentucky's not a good football team, guys. I, I will readily admit that. They are damn good defense, though. You guys, you didn't hear me talk about that and how much I how much respect I have for Mark Stoops. They were the second best defense in the league coming into last week, and I don't think that's changed. That was a good team. In the conditions, as Charlie mentioned, I think it kind of skewed how those results would have been if it was played. Like, I don't know. If, if we played them in Atlanta in, you know, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I'm pretty confident the score is not going to be 16-6. But, you know, the conditions were what the conditions were. But even, even despite the conditions, we still did not play to our standard that Kirby Smart often talks about. We did not play our A game. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Kirby was clear in the post-game press conference. Like, this game went about, it was played about how he expected it to be played. I'm sure that he wanted us to kind of put this team away, which we were very close to, guys. I mean, I talked about it on the recap show. I think we were two plays away from this game being a 30 nothing game after the very first snap of the fourth quarter. If we punch that ball in right there in the goal line, uh, to start the fourth quarter, and if if we don't miss Darnell Washington on the first drive in the sideline, which I think was probably going to be a touchdown or at least set up a touchdown, th- the game's probably thirty to nothing. And then Kentucky's dead; they have no chance. Their spirit's taken from them, and they don't even try to mount to come back. And we win that game going away. So I, I know if you look at the final score, sixteen six, it's like man, Georgia really underperformed. I don't know that we did. I mean, guys, this is a good rushing defense. It's a really good defense. And we ran the ball at will on them between the 20s. Now, in the red zone, we'll get to that in a minute here. We've got quite a few questions on that, as I expected. But between the 20s, like, we we ran the ball on them. That is a good, tough, physical, well-coached defense. So I don't think it was this terrible underperformance that the, that the final score might indicate based on also how Kentucky's fared this this year. I mean, they might end up 6-6 six and six this year. If they beat, we'll see what happens if they beat Louisville at home. But uh, we didn't play our A game. I don't think it was a terrible performance. I, I would say it's probably somewhere in the middle. All right. Our next question comes from Steve. He wants to know what he just saw against Kentucky and wants to know if Kirby was sandbagging. 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 You know what that makes me think of, Charlie? You ever seen the movie Wedding Crashers? Yes. You sandbagging. You sandbagging. I can't finish the sentence yeah, because it's a family show. But those of you who know what I'm talking about, you know. If you know, you know. Well, uh, Kirby sandbagging. Charlie, I I don't know about you. My impression of Kirby Smart is that this man does not know how to sandbag. No. I don't think... I don't think he has it in him. I don't think he's built that way. No. Kirby Smart does not sandbag. Now, that's not to say that we don't save some plays here and there for different teams down the season, but I do not think that Kirby Smart sandbags. When you preach to your team, you play to a standard each and every week, and it's not about the opponent. You simply cannot, in good conscience, sandbag. So I don't think this was an intentional thing, which sandbagging would indicate, right? So that's me, and different people can believe different things. I personally don't believe the man is capable of it. I think what you saw on Saturday in Lexington was a team at the tail end of its of its toughest stretch of the season, back to back row games with the very back very cold back to back row games with the previous one the week before against Mississippi State being a late kick. You get home late, you got to go to Lexington, Kentucky. You're playing in the cold, unfamiliar conditions. We're not used to playing like that, guys. You know what? We're also not going to play in any conditions like that the rest of the year. And then you're playing, as I mentioned in the last question, against a tough, physical, motivated, well-coached football team. I think that had more to do with it than Kirby Smart sandbagging. And I, I do get the play-calling argument. I know that, Steve, you didn't mention that directly, but I think that's kind of built into this question. Uh, I get the argument there that, you know, if we weren't sandbagging, why did we have such a vanilla offensive game? And I, I do understand that to a degree, especially now that we've been more of a passing offense this year. I mean, if you look at it, guys, we have 381 passing attempts this season, which is third in the league. We're only five passing attempts behind Alabama 
And most people would not have guessed that we, we, we would have been that close in terms of the number of passes we've thrown this year to Alabama at this point in the season, but yet here we are. But as, and I will say, as much as Kirby has grown in how he views offensive football, I think he has grown a lot since he took this job in that regard. I still believe at his core, at heart, Kirby Smart is a conservative defensive guy. That's who he is, guys. He can't help himself. He's, he's, he was doing that for way too long. You don't just, that doesn't just disappear, right? And so I think in the types of situations that we found ourselves in in Lexington, where it's cold, the wind is blowing like that, Kirby is just hardwired to not take the risk. I think he's more risk aversive and a risk averse in those situations. And I think if his mentality is, all right, when the wind's blowing like this, if I put the ball in the air, could good things happen? Sure, maybe. But bad things could also happen too. The risk of the number of negative things could happen to our football team increases exponentially when you have wind blowing like this. So when he sees a situation like that, I do believe that Kirby Smart thinks, all right, man, if I can just beat you with the old school bully ball that I think this situation necessitates, that's what we're going to do. And that's exactly what you saw on Saturday. Now, I know that might look like sandbagging because you're sitting there, you're like, man, Kentucky, like Tennessee, blue Kentucky, yeah, 44 or 6, right? And we only beat them by 10. Like, what's up with that? Well, they also didn't play Kentucky in the weather conditions we played them in. They also played them at home. Tennessee, as you, as you saw very clearly last week in, in Columbia, South Carolina, is a very different team when they are on the road. I think Kirby Smart played this game and built this game plan the way that he felt this game had to be played. And I know that for some people that might seem like he's sandbagging. I just don't believe the man's capable of it. I think he preaches the, playing to the standard. I think he truly buys in and believes that. I just don't think the dude has it in him. But that is just me. Okay. Thank you for that explanation of not sandbagging. No sandbagging here. Got no it. sandbagging SOBs here. All right. Guy says that the short yardage play calling... Ooh, leave something to be desired. Right. So he wants to know, if the, is that just the play calling or is there something lacking with our line? Or both. And I think we have, Charlie, how many questions do we have about... The offensive line? Well, about like short yarder situations, like reds. I think we have like at least three or four. I think, yeah. All right. So we got a couple of these here. So I'm not... I'm, I know we have some that are similar, so I'm going to try to stick very narrowly to what this question asks so I don't kind of bleed in some of the other questions. So is it just a play calling or is there something lacking with our offensive line or is it both? Well, okay, so this is a good question, Guy, and actually a popular question. We had several people ask something very, very similar. So I went back and tried to count it up for the past couple of weeks. Past, like I went back to the Mississippi State game, all right? And by my calculations, and these are very rough calculations, okay, so don't hold me to it, but rough calculations here. By my calculations, we have run the ball nine times inside our opponent's three-yard line, and we have gotten no touchdowns on any of those nine rushing attempts. Seven of those, again, very, very rough calculations here, were for either no gain or for a loss of yards. And I d didn't do the numbers here, but the vast majority of those were out of our big jumbo package, right? And number them with Jalen Carter coming in as the fullback. And historically, when I'm asked questions about like, okay, like, were we like trying to make this game more difficult for ourselves? Were we really trying to hold stuff for opponents later in the season? I usually dismiss that notion that our coaches are just willfully making it more difficult for our team to win the current game so we can just save stuff for later games. But I think it actually holds some credence here. I think there's some merit to it in this situation because I think that's kind of what we're seeing here because we have other options. And guys, Todd Munkin is a smart man. Kirby Smart is a smart dude. They know this. If you and I can see this, trust me, they understand these things too. And I just... It's either it's one of two things. Either arrogance that like, yeah, we see it, but we don't care. We're just gonna run the ball down your throat, even though it's not working. So it's arrogance slash stupidity, or it's just that potentially they are holding things for the right moment, and they're thinking, hey, we can get out of these games. We, we can probably run the ball in here. We're gonna we're not gonna show all of our cards because we have bigger moments. We want to unveil those cards at, at later times. And again, usually I kind of dismiss that, but I I have to believe. That's a lot of what we are seeing here. Because again, we do have other options. Now, the quarterback sneak, especially when you're talking about the one-yard line, is, to me, the obvious option. But with Stetson, like, we don't have Will Levis, right, at quarterback. So it's it's not the best option for us because Stetson's a small dude. Now, if you think you can get the really big push from the, from the running back across that line, and we've done it with Stetson from time to time, but Stetson's a smaller guy. And that certainly kind of hamstrings us a little bit there when it comes to quarterback sneaks. 
But I, I do think that Stetson's legs in general have to be more of a factor when we get inside the red zone, especially when we get inside the five-yard line. And that's why I've always felt that teams with dual-threat quarterbacks are a nightmare in the red zone. They're so much more efficient on average than the teams that don't have that kind of quarterback because it creates numbers and advantages in the box and everybody's kind of packed in there. But the, at the end of the day, going back to play calling, and that's a great question, guy. I think there's a lot to that. I have always felt a little bit differently about goal line situations. I think the average fan has. I have long despised jumbo packages on the goal line. It's always felt kind of counterintuitive to me. And I understand that the, the field is condensed and the, the philosophy is, okay, we have one yard, so let's just push it ahead real fast. And for a long time in football's history, that like that's what, that was what you did, right? But I think there's a better way. I, I've never quite understood, like, why are you willfully bringing, like, when you go jumbo packages, what are you doing? You're bringing everybody in tight, right? Like, everybody's right there around the ball. So why are you willfully bringing more bodies in tight where the ball is going to be run if you indeed are going to run the football between the tackles? How does that help you? Like, why are you doing that? Just because you bring a lot of guys in the line of scrimmage doesn't mean that there are fewer guys to block because what does the defense do? They just bring more big guys in as well. I think make it more difficult on yourself because I think you are making it more difficult on yourself because what you do when you run these jumbo packages on the goal like that is you bring in more players right there tight around the ball and more players have to do their jobs correctly which means it's more likely one of those guys doesn't do their job. And I'm not explaining this well, so let me give you an example here. So if you go with a six-man box, and it's not a spread formation, but let's say you run, you're on the two-yard line. Why are we not running the same or very similar formations to what we're running when the ball is on the 42-yard line? Like, why are we not doing that? Because if we only have, let's say we have a six-man box. So we have five offensive linemen, we have one tight end in there. Instead of a nine-man box, well, in that scenario, you only need six guys to block and do their job correctly if you are indeed running between the tackles as opposed to nine. The more guys you have in tight around where the ball is going to be run, the more of those guys have to actually do their job correctly. So it behooves you to get more of those guys out of the box. And look, I understand, yes, there's not as much space when you get that tight in the red zone. I understand that clearly. But even though there's not as much space, there's still more space than we are taking advantage of. So let's make them defend what space there is. I think personally, we have a lot more in the toolbox and that we are just not using it right now. At least that's what I want to believe because I do believe in Kirby Smart. I do believe in Todd Munkin. And I, I, I've seen us use in, in the past, guys. I've uh, under Todd Munkin, under Kirby Smart, I've seen us do different things and we're just not doing them right now. So I have to believe that there is some more merit in this isolated case of the idea that we're holding on to some of these things for uh, bigger games once we hit the postseason. Okay, well, talking more about offense, Big Dog LL would like to know when we're going to get Big Zero, Darnell Washington, and Brock Bowers involved more in the red zone. Big Dog, I, I, I wish I had an answer for you, man. You know I've been calling for Darnell get more involved in the red zone for two years now, a year and a half at least. And you're seeing us more and more split him out in the red zone in those, like, you know, goal-to-go situations where he's isolated one-on-one with the cornerback out wide. And the cornerback cannot match up with him physically from a size perspective. They simply cannot. I have not, maybe one time this year, but maybe, maybe one time have I seen us actually throw the ball to him like a fade in those situations. And, and maybe the reality is that we try that with Darnell in practice and he's just not very good at it. Maybe he's not good at high pointing the ball. I don't know that. I'm not saying it's not because we haven't really seen him try to do it, right? But I know in the past when it's not been the goal line situations, when Stetson kind of just throws the ball up to him, there's a couple against Missouri, right? In the second half of that game, we just throw the ball up to Darnell and he's got the size advantage. He goes up and he gets the ball. He devours the football. So why would it be any different in the red zone? That just doesn't seem to make sense to me. We have used Brock plenty of times in the red zone. Uh, I think, yes, we should try to use him a little bit more. We tried to get the ball to him uh, in the red zone against Kentucky and, and we, we couldn't make it happen. We couldn't convert there. Uh, we, we try to use Brock more than we've used Darnell, but I think Darnell is, you know, remains one of the most unutilized weapons on this team. We've been trying to get him more involved. I still think he's underutilized and in the red zone. He is so woefully underutilized. So big dog. Yes, you are hundred percent correct. I don't really have answers for you, my friend. Okay. More offense. Mike wants to know why we had Kendall Milton in the game for 
fourth and goal from the one-yard line. I know we've already talked about this. What's your take on that? Yeah, Charlie, look, uh, Kendall Milton, I don't I, I don't subscribe to like the let's bash Kendall Milton movement. And I think people are kind of pulling off that a little bit. I'm, I want this kid to do well. And I think he's a good player. I mean, look at his, his actual average per rush. He's, he's up over five. I mean, he was up over six for most of the season. I mean, this guy is a good running back. And I think, and he, he's not perfect. I mean, he has some areas that like aren't his strong suits, but I think sometimes we hyper-focus on his deficiencies instead of what he does well. So Kendall's a good back. However, saying that, I don't believe that Kendall is our best option inside like the five-yard line, like the two, inside the, let's say inside the three-yard line. When we're trying to just punch the ball in, I don't think that Kendall is our best option. And I understand why our coaching staff trots him out there in those spots because you look at him, you're like, okay, yeah, he's our biggest back. And so, yeah, we just want to, you know, pound the ball into the goal line. Like, sure, let's put our biggest back out there. But I I think that's a misnomer. I think just because you're the biggest back doesn't necessarily mean you're the best power back on the team. And it's not just a, a Kindle thing. I've, I've thought that for years with various players, guys. But just because, just because Kindle's our biggest back does not mean that he is our most powerful back, okay? Alternately, it also doesn't mean that he's the best option at the goal line to punch an in. Because what Kindle does not have, yes, he is our biggest running back. I get that. But I also don't think he's our best running back at breaking tackles. In fact, I would put him behind Dejan Edwards. And I, I mean, the way that Kenny McIntosh has been running, I think he's breaking tackles at a higher clip. I mean, his yards after contact have increased exponentially the past couple of weeks. Kendall can break tackles. I don't think he does it as well as the other two. So that's just me. But what Kendall does not have is he doesn't have the quickness to get to holes and then the ability to get skinny through those tight holes the way that guy like Dejan Edwards does. I still think Dejan Edwards is our best option inside the two, three yard line because he's shown me that this year. He's got that jump cut. He's got that quickness. When he sees the hole, he can get to the hole in a way that Kendall Milton cannot. And then he can get skinny through those holes. And he's a small dude. I know it seems kind of counterintuitive when he's so small that you would think uh, he, he can't be our best goal line option. But I think he's proven that over and over and over again. So, And I'm not saying that he is able to punch it every single time either. He's not. But I still maintain that he is our best option there. This is not a bash Kendall thing. Kendall deserves some carries. Kendall's doing some good things for us. But I just don't think that he is our best option once we get inside that three-yard line. We're trying to punch it in with a goal-to-go scenario. And Charlie, I know we have a ton more to get to, but we do have... An update to our my bookie promo deal that I want to make sure to tell everybody about. And I mentioned this on our recap episode that we did right after the game on Sunday, but I do want to just reiterate for anyone who might not have heard that my bookie is awesome, guys. They've been good to us and they've been supporting us all season long. And they have had this awesome promo deal going on all year where they were doubling whatever your initial deposit is. But they are really kind of sweetening the pot right now, guys, because they have a no-strings bonus that lets you cash in and cash out quick. The promo code is still the same. It's UGA. But now, there's a little bit of a twist to it. When you deposit $50 or more, you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. And it's really simple, guys. I mean, all you have to do is go to MyBookie.ag, Make that deposit, and then once you actually bet that money, so let's say you deposit 50 bucks. Once you bet 50 bucks, then you are ready to cash out. That money goes straight into your account, and you can cash that in, and you could turn it into real, actual cash. So, guys, this deal, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's a better deal than what they were running earlier. I didn't think it could get any better, but I think it kind of has. So, jump on it today at mybookie.ag. Use that promo code UGA. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, our next question comes from a different Mike. He wants to know which game did you enjoy watching more on Saturday, Vandy being Florida or the Gamecocks boat racing Tennessee? I mean, I know my answer, Charlie. I'm curious to get your take because I know that you uh, you have a soft spot for teams that don't do well and struggle, so you've been on like the go Vandy bus lately. Well, I really did enjoy watching Vandy beat Florida, but I thought that was more likely to happen than Tennessee really just getting get boat race. Yeah. I mean, I looked at, like, the game breakdown, and it was, like, for South Carolina, touchdown, 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 halftime, punt, touchdown, 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 All right, touchdown, listen, touchdown. I don't know, have you heard this stat? So, coming into the game against Tennessee, in conference play, South Carolina had amassed a total of 18 touchdowns against SEC opponents. They scored nine yeah. touchdowns yeah. against Tennessee. Crazy. What? So, I'm, what? I'll take the Gamecocks beating Tennessee, even though I don't like Shane Beamer. Yeah, th- that was the thing for me. It's like, God, I really oh. don't like Shane Beamer. But, but you know what wins the day? Did you see the Vandy students? Oh my quote, God, they're they're um, rushing unquote. Yeah, the they're field. field storming. Um, that was on one hand you would call it the most pathetic field storm you've ever seen, or could it be the most polite, orderly field rushing you've ever seen? I liked seen? it. It was safe. Nobody got hurt. No one got smacked. But what was the purpose of rushing? If it was even once they got in the field, Charlie, everyone was just kind of standing there. Like no one was jumping up and down. No one well, was screaming. No one was Vandy. like they were like, dancing, having a good time. Like they were just like standing there, like they were in a park. It's Vandy. <laughs> yeah, but the, I get that. But why rush? Why? Um, walk the best, onto the field because that was the not best a rush. Vandy thing ever, and I enjoyed it was. watching. Good it. for Vandy. Good for Vandy. As long as it's not us, good for Vandy. Yeah, I mean, I, I will go with you, Charlie. I gotta go. I mean, I, it was it was nice seeing Vandy win that game. I hate Florida, but the Tennessee hate for me has assumed like epic proportions this year. So I, after the way the Tennessee fans have comported themselves prior to our game that week leading up to our game, and then even in the aftermath of the game, where they were still inexplicably running their mouths. Yes, I um got I, so I was at the KS bar in Leston, Kentucky after that game, and our after our game and watching the the South Carolina Kentucky game, and there were a lot of George people in there, sure, but there were also a lot of Kentucky people. There was about fifty fifty split in there, somewhere around there, and to a person, every time South Carolina scored or something bad happened in Tennessee, the entire bar just let out an absolute roar. I mean, everyone was on the South Carolina train against Tennessee. It was awesome, man. And I absolutely hate Tennessee. So, yeah, it was nice seeing Vandy win. Good for them. But, I mean, no questions asked. Because I wanted Tennessee – like, I've been very open saying I don't want Tennessee in the playoffs, not because I didn't want to play them. If we play them again, we'll beat them again. Like, whatever. That's fine. But I don't want Tennessee fans to be able to enjoy that moment, to have that. I don't want them to have that. So, for them to lose and to lose in the way they did to South Carolina, a team that simply cannot score the football, was uh, man, that was glorious. That was a wonderful way to cap my my weekend in Lexington. All right, we're about halfway done with our questions for today, uh, but and I'm sure you're gonna do a game preview for the Tech game. Yeah, if the people so, want it, the people will get it. So here's a little sneak peek. Mr. Tomato had asked if it's crazy to be slightly nervous about the Tech game. After they beat UNC last weekend, or was that just a fluke? Well, I mean, if they played North Carolina 10 times, I don't think that Tech wins the majority of those. I think Carolina probably wins seven or eight of those. But I also don't think it was fluky. So I, on the way back from Lexington, it's a nice long, about seven-hour drive. I'm not allowed to drive. So, I, I mean, my wife will not allow me to drive. It's just a thing. So it's all good. Well, now, before you keep going into that, Tech did beat UNC last year, too. Yeah, but that was last year. That's UNC, yeah, they did. Two years in a row. Yes, North Carolina is not good. They, I mean, I'm yeah. not saying Tech is good. Oh, I'm North, just saying, that game cost me money last year. I had North Carolina pretty big in that game, and Tech beat them. And I was right. like, you freaking I'm just saying. Nerds. You know, looking at the. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I understand. I understand. Yeah, they. Um, yeah, Tech is. Tech is not a good team, guys, but they're not a 
bad team either, if that makes any sense. I don't know. Does that make sense, Charlie? They're not good, but they're not bad. They're something. Perfect. Something else. That's that's what they are. But here's the thing with Tech, guys. Offensively, they're garbage. They are terrible on offense. But their defense is playing really well right now. Yes, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was the weekend of the Florida game, they gave, gave up over 600 to Florida State. Well, there's no shame in that. Cause I told you last week, I think Florida State is the best team in the ACC right now, and I... I don't think it's. I mean, I think it's pretty clear right now. I mean, they're not going to make the ACC championship. They're not going to win that title, whatever, because they lost some games, you know, early in the season. But right now, based on how all those teams in that conference are playing right now, Florida State is the best team in the conference. And Tech just got whipped by them, which is fine, whatever. But outside of that game against Florida State, Tech has only given up 352 yards a game and 23 points per game. These are conference games. And their other six games since Jeff Collins was fired back after that UCF game. And they've also beaten some bowl teams, guys. Like, they haven't just beat, like, yeah, they beat Virginia Tech. Cool. Virginia Tech's terrible. But they also beat Pitt. At Pitt, they beat Duke. Duke's good this year, guys. I know, like, you think, oh, it's Duke. Duke's going to make a bowl game, guys. They might win eight games this year. And they also, again, beat North Carolina a couple days ago. So that two of the three of those wins against bowl teams were on the road. And it's not offensively, guys. They're not getting the job done on offense. They're doing just enough. They're on their third-string quarterback right now. But defensively, they are playing some good football. And North Carolina, and you can say, well, those are ACC teams. Like, they're not good. North Carolina's offense, guys, is one of the best offenses in the country. And they held that offense to under 400 yards total offense. I mean, that was an impressive showing by that Tech defense. So I do respect them defensively. Offensively, they are not good at all. And we'll get into that, you know, as we go through the rest of this week. But, uh, yeah, I mean, slightly nervous? No, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say be slightly nervous. I would just say respect the opponent, Okay. Don't go in here with the mindset that we're going to beat them by 50. You know, this Tech team is better than Tech was last year or the year before that. And they also don't have Jeff Collins weighing them down. Like the, the whole question, like, is he going to be fired? Is he not? Like hot seat thing. Like I think once a team gets rid of that and they kind of excise that from the program and you don't have to worry about the hot seat talk, like you just play loose and play free. And that's kind of what you've seen from this Tech team. And, and they're, they're doing a good job on defense. They're pretty well coached. They have some good players. They have a couple of really good inside linebackers. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's respect the opponent and um, – Go beat the hell out of them. Okay. Darren wants to know, is it time to just let the freshmen play at outside linebacker? This way they would get experience and not sure that the performance would be that drastically different. Yeah, Darren, this is a very fair question, man. I appreciate it, buddy. You guys heard me on the on the recap episode, and I will stand by it. With each passing week, I'm becoming more and more concerned about the loss of Nolan Smith. The guy was such an incredible run defender for us. He was so versatile for us. Allows to do a lot of different things from a coverage standpoint. And right now, we can't do those things. And Robert Beal is a good, solid run defender. He's not He's not an elite run defender. He's not an elite pass rusher. He's, like I've told you guys several times this year, good, solid player that you can count on, right? Just do what he's supposed to do. Chaz Chandless is probably going to grow into a pretty good player, but he's not there right now, guys. Chaz is just not there. Like, he's really inexperienced. I'm not trying to bash Chaz Chandless. Like, most guys thrown in that spot in this situation on this kind of team are going to look like a fish out of water. I mean, he was he dealt with a hamstring injury almost all season going, going into the Florida game. I mean, he only dressed for, like, I think one game prior to that, if I'm, if I'm remembering that correctly. So he missed some developmental time there, but Chaz is not there from an awareness standpoint. He doesn't have the playing time. He doesn't have those built-up reps. Um, he plays really hard, and he's a strong guy, but yeah, I am concerned there. But I, I know the young guys you're talking about would be Marvin Jones Jr. and then Darius Smith. Well, Darius Smith got injured against Florida. I think that certainly kept him out of the lineup. I don't even know what, what his injury status is right now. We don't get much of an update on that. And Marvin Jones Jr. is just it appears that from a physicality standpoint, he's just not ready yet to play the run. I do believe he gives us more rush than the passer, but you know these guys are like, when we really want to rush the passer, on third downs, we, we take Chambliss off the field, right? Like, we might have Beal on the field, but we bring guys like Jalen Walker in and do some different things. But it's more about the standard downs. And if pass rushing is what Marvin Jones Jr. can do better than a guy like Chaz Chambliss or Robert Beal, well, that's not what we're putting a premium on in those standard downs. We're putting more of a premium on stopping the run. And it appears as though we don't trust him in that situation right now from a physicality standpoint. I don't know that. I really don't know that. But I've got to trust the coaches here because they're the ones that see it in practice. They're the ones that are professionals and they do this each and every day. But I get where you're coming from, Darren. Like it's at some point, you're like, man, like these guys just you can see the deficiencies. Like they're just not like they're not elite players, right? Like we want elite players. Like our goals are national championships. So you you want to see like do these other guys? Yeah, they might be young, but can they like flash, make some of those impact plays? Like, like Dallas Turner did last year, late in the season for Alabama, right? So I get it, but I still think we just have, like, it's unfortunate. We are in this situation, 
and maybe we can keep coaching up you know Marvin Jones Jr. and get him to that point. I'm not holding out hope there. But to answer your question, if the stakes weren't what they are right now, because again, we are going for national championships, guys. Those are as high as it gets. Those stakes are as high as it gets. So if the stakes were not as high, I would absolutely be in agreement. Like if we were like Alabama right now, who's not going to play for the SEC title, they're not in the national championship picture, it's not going to happen for them. Absolutely. Throw those young guys in there, see what they can do, get them ready for next year. But we're just not in that position. So unfortunately, as much as I want one of those guys to be the answer, I can't quite advocate it as much as I'm concerned about not having playmakers in that position. I think right now the reality is those are just the, the best options that we've got at this point. Okay. Well, Darren wants to know your thoughts on the return of Stetson's one to two inexplicable throws each game. You know, sometimes they just seem yeah. boneheaded. There yeah. was that one throw where he overthrew. Darnell. Darnell, and it was like, how do you overthrow somebody that tall? Yes, we have a Sasquatch but, tied in. You know, it could have been the wind yeah. because the wind. Yeah, and that's what and I was even about. listening to the um, broadcast after went back and watched it, and they were talking about oh, how Charlie did a rewatch? the Let's way go. that the stadium was built it causes wind tunnels. Mm-hmm. So you might be in three different spots of the stadium, and the wind is going ways. in different directions, and then in a different direction on the field. So. Who who knows in that specific game with the conditions? Charlie doing her homework. Let's go. I always do my homework. You you do. You always do your homework. I got to give you credit there. You do. All right. So let me go back to the question. So what are my thoughts on the return of Stetson's one to two inexplicable throws each game? Well, I don't want to say that it's each game. Can we go there yet, Charlie? Are we at the point where it's happening each game at this point? I I don't think we can. I can say it. It ha- Kentucky happened. for sure, obviously. Mississippi State. The past couple weekends. Mississippi State, there was that throw. Obviously, you know, we were right before halftime, the two-minute drill, and he pulled the ball and threw when we called an RPO. And I know the, the the run the pass option was built into it, but Stess, you gotta be smart in that, man. You're you're an experienced guy. You're 37 years old out there. Like you've got to make the decision, say, oh yeah, it's not in our best interest to pull this ball and throw a four-yard little out route here in the situation and then punt the ball. Like I would call that kind of an inexplicable decision for a man, for a yeah, a man. That's what he is, a man of of his advanced experience at the college level. So the past couple of weeks, you've seen a couple, but it hasn't been all year. I mean, against Florida, yeah, Florida, there was there was definitely a couple. There's more than one. Tennessee, I don't really remember any like inexplicable throws. I know there was the almost interception, maybe the first drive by Jeremy Banks, but that wasn't a bad decision. It was just poor execution. And Banks got up and made the play, but your point is made. I get where you're coming from here, Dalton. Yeah, I am not. I don't want to sit here and say I'm completely unconcerned about it because the fact is that's what Stetson did last year. But for the the vast majority of this season, he has not been that guy. He's protected the football. He's been really smart with the football. Been in complete control. And then after the bye week in Florida, I don't want to say it shook his confidence, but he played really poorly in that game. Made some really poor decisions. Made some poor throws in that game, played really poorly, came back and bounced back in a big way against Tennessee, had one of his best games of the year. I thought he played really well all in at Mississippi State, maybe one bad decision-ish maybe in that game. And then against uh, Kentucky, the interception was a, I, I still, that that is inexplicable to me. That That is exactly case in point. I know that's what you're talking about, Dalton. That interception he threw, I, have, I honestly have no clue what he's thinking other than like, hey man, I just want to try to make a play. Like, just bad all around. And the, the one in Darnell wasn't a bad decision, that was just a missed throw um, but which he's hit most of those throughout the year, but I, I'm I'm not gonna freak out about Stetson because again I'm looking at the total body of work this year and he has largely been very 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 good for us. But in the back of my mind, I'm not gonna lie to you. There's the I, there's the thought that okay, well that's kind of what we saw like every game last year. Let's please not return to that Stetson, please please please. So I'm not completely unconcerned, but it's also not something that's kind of consuming me right now. If if that makes any sense. And Charlie, we do have one final break we need to get to here. I know that you're not a big Black Friday shopper, right, Charlie? I'm not, but I know that other people are, and they should go to alumnihall.com, or they should visit in-store for the Black Friday deals. Absolutely. And those deals will be coming out here within the next 24 hours. At least, at least that's what the people at Alumni Hall, the good people at Alumni Hall, are telling me. And guys, I mean, it's going to be a bonanza. I mean, they're going to have all the the incredible Georgia gear that they always have, which is clearly the best selection of Georgia gear anywhere. And the deals are going to be out of this world. So make sure to do your shopping there, guys. You know you have Georgia fans in your life. And hey, even if you're not buying it for other people, treat yourself. It's okay. And every time, especially now, you know you can rack up the points during the holiday season. 
the Hall Pass Rewards program. For every 150 you spend in store or online, you get $10 back in credit towards future purchases. It's a no-brainer, guys. No one does it like Alumni Hall. Best selection, best gear, hands down. So make sure you stop in in store inside the Edgebridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com. And it's looking like the weather might not be too great this weekend. So that took a turn for the worst real quick. Yeah, if you're on your way to Athens this weekend, you might want to stop and get yourself a poncho or a raincoat. And they have them right at the entrance, right when you walk in. Ponchos galore sitting there for you, so no brainer. Yes, and then you can always keep it with you. Yes, Charlie, we know that you You have this. You use the same ponchos from like seven years ago. It's really weird. They're not a throwaway item. I've always maybe they're not. I've always just felt like they were. I see people discard them like That's, after one use. Well, I mean, if yeah, if you like don't have anywhere to put it or I don't know, but I'm also you know you're I you're like miss frugality. Well, I don't like to throw things away if I don't have to. And that you're you're a great American citizen, Charlie. Yeah, you really are. But London Hall, place to go. Make sure to stop in this week or whenever. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, our next question is from Jonathan. We're going to veer off the path for just a second, and he has a recruiting question for you. He says that we're getting an official visit with Nicholas Harbor. So he would like your quick thoughts on the potential of him coming to Georgia and what's a brief evaluation on him. Yeah, this is a big, big, big official visit, guys, because he is a five-star prospect, big-time player from the Washington, D.C. area, the DMV area, 6'5", 255. He is a guy that doesn't have a firm position. He could play the edge. In fact, on 247sports.com, they have him listed as an edge player. He wants to play tight end. That's the thing. I don't know. My understanding is that we kind of want him more on the defensive side of the ball as an edge player, whereas he wants to play tight end. But hey, if he's making an official visit, we're in the conversation. And who knows? Maybe we are. A lot of times we'll tell guys, like, whatever you want to play, we'll make it work. I th- but we are usually pretty open about where we see them. And I, I, from what I've been told, we see him as more of a defensive player, but I think he wants to play offense. I don't know if that is going to factor into his final decision, but when you get an official visit, that's big from this type of prospect. I mean, he's a guy, that is, he's a big physical guy. He's got really good athleticism. He could absolutely play tight end. I think he's more of a natural edge player on defense. I think he, that's where he's going to fit long-term in his career, but he also wants to play tight end. He sees what ha- what's happening in the tight ends in the NFL. I think he probably thinks long-term is where he can make more money. All those kind of things. More NIL opportunities for those kind of guys that are catching balls as opposed to getting after quarterbacks, especially in our defense. We don't really feature those kind of pass rushers in that way, typically, traditionally. So I don't know how that's all going to play out, but if you get an official visit, you got a shot. And that's all you can ask for guys like this. So we'll certainly watch this. And I'll be honest with you, Jonathan, obviously I follow recruiting very closely. I don't follow it as closely during the season because – I am like zeroed in on the season, but I, I am aware of what's happening, and he's a big-time player, and I would love to have him on roster. He's got that kind of like it-factor athleticism that you love to have, that kind of plus athleticism, especially for like a jumbo-type guy. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, right now, I, I wouldn't say that we get him, I, but it, we're, in again, in the conversation. We'll see how it plays out. Okay, we're coming to some more 
interesting. These are fun questions, questions at the end here. Yeah, we got some fun questions. We have three left. Ethan wants to know your personal favorite and worst memory from the clean old-fashioned hate rivalry. I'll give you mine. Okay. And it doesn't have to do with the actual football, except okay. for the fact about 13 years ago, it was pouring down rain in Athens, and it was freezing cold. 2008. It was miserable. That's my worst memory. I had to leave. Yep, that's what I had. I had to, I, I told my husband, I said, I'll meet you at the bar, it's too cold. Yeah, that was a miserable game. And Charlie, we were up 18 points at halftime in that game. We were up eight, and that, remember, that was 2008. So that was preseason, number one team, right? All that hype coming into it. And obviously by that point, we already lost a couple of games. But then you're playing Tech. Tech sucks. And it's like we're at home. We should. For, first off, Charlie, I would say my worst memory losing Tech is every time we lose to Tech. Because as far as I'm concerned, we should never, ever, ever lose to Georgia Tech in football. It is inexcusable for the University of Georgia to lose to Tech. Like it should literally never happen. And when it does, I lose a little bit of my soul. Like that I'll never get back. Every time it happens. I it just it's awful. It's absolutely awful. So really every time I lose is miserable for me. But you're right, Charlie. Like that's the worst one for me. It's two thousand eight home loss, forty five, forty two. Two thousand sixteen with Kirby's first year, when we thought like Nick Chubb was gonna leave and wasn't gonna come back, and that was like his last game in Sanford Stadium, and I was like, God, that really sucked too. But that season just kinda sucked in general. But two thousand eight, man, got up eighteen. I mean like I was I, I was there. Like I rushed down to like the lower level end zone. And was like talking trash, and I never talk trash, but I hate tech. And I was like talking trash to the tech fans. They were coming off the field, and then they come out and make that ridiculous comeback. And that was the Rashad Jones game where there's a play on the sideline that he could have made, and he just kind of put a shoulder guy, and rather than tackling, and he ran for a touchdown. I think it was that game. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong there, but that was. It was terrible. And on top of losing, as you said, Charlie, it was miserably cold, rainy, nasty, terrible. So, yeah, I don't mind those kind of conditions when you win and you beat your rival. But when you lose and blow a game in that kind of fashion, that sucks. Do you have a best memory beating Tech? Or do they all kind of bleed together for you? They all kind of bleed together. Especially when you just beat the holy hell out of them like we have the past couple years. I got one, though, for you, Charlie. There's a lot of good memories beating Tech. Anytime you beat the nerd, it's a good day. It's a great day in American history every time that happens. But my favorite win over Tech is a season that we probably all want to forget. Like, no one wants to remember the 2009 season, right? Like, 2008, we were preseason number one, all that hype, and kind of fall on our face. 2009 was a season to forget, largely, right? But that was my favorite win over Georgia Tech because that was, if you guys remember, that was the We Run This State game. Wayshawn Ely, remember that name? Wayshawn Ely had that written on his arms. Had it written, like, We had that everywhere, right? We had signs for it. We Run This State, which is a tagline that we still use today. And that was born that day in 2009. Guys, that was a really good Georgia Tech team, which is hard to imagine. It's hard to remember the day when Tech actually had a really good team. They were 10-1. and they were 10 and 1 coming in that game. I think we were like 6 and 5, if I remember correctly. And then we went and ran for like 350 on them in Atlanta. I mean, Ely almost had 200 yards himself. I mean, that was the one game they like they kind of put him on the map for us and uh, at least for a little while until, you know, things went sideways a little bit for him later on in his career. But that game, Charlie, no one expected us to win that game. Like we were down, we were out a terrible year. Tech was on this on this high. I mean, I mean, they were in it, Charlie. They, they were I mean, 10-1, and one. that's a big season for Tech. That's a big season for anyone, let alone Tech. And for us to be able to go into their house and beat them and beat them that way, just out-physical them and run the ball down their throat and create the rerun this state tagline, I uh, I will always cherish that one. So that's there's a lot of good memories, Charlie. Every one over Tech is a good memory, but that is the best one for me. Okay. Um, Jay Swift wants to know, in honor of Hate Week, how do you personally rank our rivals by hate? I think we've like informally discussed this, but we haven't like actually answered this question before. So I'm gonna let you go first. Who? Give me your top. I don't know. Top three, top four, top five. How are you? How, how far you want to go? Probably in no specific. Well, Tennessee. No is number order, one. order, order. Tennessee, Tennessee number one. Tennessee is number one. Um, or are you just in the been, East? No, whoever. Have you, has Tennessee always been number one for you, or is that a yeah, this year thing? It's always been up there. I know you've hated sure. them for a while. Yeah. Did you say just the East or everyone? A- anyone. Um, I would say top three, Tennessee, Florida when they're good, South Carolina, because they're just obnoxious. They are. And Auburn? Auburn, okay. We play them. Does that fluctuate for you, or is it like set in stone? I mean, those are usually three that are going to be in there. But it's like one, two, fluctuate based off like who's good in a given year, and if they beat us recently... 
Because it, it changes for me from time to time. Yeah, maybe a little. Like when Florida, like after Florida beat us in 2020 with Dan Mullen talking his junk, like they were at an all-time high for me. Or at least not all-time high, but they were number one for me. Anytime we lose to Tech, which knock on wood should never happen, um, they're number one at least until we beat them again. But right now I'm with you. Tennessee has assumed the number one ranking in my personal hate list, and that's I've always hated Tennessee like you, Charlie. They've always been higher on my list. I think you're average Georgia fan. They've always been hanging around like number two-ish for me, two or three. But this year, again, after the way that they comported themselves leading into our game a couple weeks back and how they've handled themselves after that game, still talking absurd trash, uh, I have like my hate for them has risen to on all-time high, to like new levels. Like it's 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 crazy. I strongly, 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 strongly dislike them. I have a load of hate for Tennessee right now. And I relished every second of that loss to South Carolina. I mean, I was cheering for every single point the Gamecocks put up on them. So Tennessee, number one. Florida, number two for me. I know they're not really a threat right now, but I I have a very healthy hate and disgust for the Florida Gators. Uh, I would go South Carolina, number three for me. I've just been there a lot of times, and we own South Carolina right now. But when Spurrier was there, and I never really cared much about South Carolina prior to the Spurrier years. Because why would you? They were an afterthought. And the Spurrier comes, and of course he does his poking and prodding and needling and all that kind of thing, and they beat us a couple times. And their fans, you know, when you're not used to winning, it's kind of like Tennessee right now. You're not used to winning. You don't know how to handle yourself. Like, you just go bananas. You go crazy. And you lose your mind. And they lost their mind, and they were just some some tough experiences in Columbia with those fans. And they're delusional too, but the Tennessee delusions... um, it's epic levels of, of insanity right now. So I'm going to South Carolina 3. I would go Tech 4 and Auburn 5. Tech's not on your list at all anywhere? No, they don't matter. They just like don't even register They're for irrelevant. you? They're irrelevant. I feel like that's the right response, Charlie. I just, I still, I can't get around it. I hate Tech. I really do. I just hate Georgia Tech. We lost them too many times when I was a kid, and I guess that kind of got scarred into me. So we don't really lose so much anymore. Again, knock on wood. But when it happens, it really, really, really freaking sucks. So that's my list. That's Charlie's list. Uh, is that it, or we have one more? We have one more question. All right, one more. Christian would like to know what's your perfect Thanksgiving plate. plate? Plate? Like if I'm making my Thanksgiving plate, what do I put on it? Right. Um, A lot of beige color cook, foods. What would you have? Um, well, I had to cook? I'm just saying, if you were going to cook and you had, because you well, said like, earlier that people don't think about you or whatever, mm-hmm. and that you I mean, don't there's really two, there's only say, two things I want. What are they? My wife makes this incredible five cheese macaroni and cheese. It's to die for. It's killer. So 100% that, a uh, nice large heaping of that, and sweet potato pie. That's it. But sweet potato pie has got to have the the candy pecan crust on top. Sweet potato pie is not beige. You're right, it's not. But that a lot of a lot of, a lot of macaroni, that's beige. Okay, it's a lot of macaroni. It's your least favorite color, actually. But it's delicious, Charlie. That, that's a, literally the only two things I want on Thanksgiving. Like I don't mashed potatoes. Like no, I even oh, put, mashed potatoes. Go, why, no, why do why no, do people no, no. even make those? Like, even if you made like garlic mashed potatoes, like no, no, I don't care about that. Cranberries, like no, get that out of here. Uh, dressing, no. Why? Why? Like, is that here's my thing? It's like I only have so much room. I'm not a big. I'm not a huge guy, Charlie. I only got so much room in the stomach to fill out, well, right? I'm smaller than you, and I right. eat a lot. So I'm, I, I eat a lot, but like to me, it's always like, why do I have to have a smattering of all of that? If if I know what I oh, like, you should eat what you right, want. Right. If I know what I like, why waste precious space in my stomach for things that like aren't as good as things I actually like? The main events, like I like bread. Like a, a roll is fine, but why am I going to eat that roll when I can just have a couple more bites of macaroni and cheese? No, I'm not wasting my calories on. What? What? A, like oh, and turkey and ham. Like I don't do that. Oh, I, no, family, I don't eat. I don't know. We don't do turkey. And ham. It's not like why is turkey good? We don't do turkey. We do ribs. Well, that's. I mean, I would eat some ribs. I mean, that's. I mean, lucky you. But no, my family's still on the turkey ham thing, and it's like, why is that good? Like, it, like, and I'm not trying to. People who like it, that's great, but. In my mind, is it better than macaroni and cheese? No. Is it better than sweet potato pie? So the standard no. so why am I eating it? would be macaroni and cheese and sweet potato pie. If I know that I love those two things, and I sweet, never get It's not them. sweet potato pie. It's sweet potato casserole. Sweet potato pie. I know. I, I've always called it casserole. My mom calls it pie, so I'm trying to be respectful of my mom here. You know, it's semantics, it Charlie. But does it have a crust? Because then it's not pie. Well, it's, I, it's sweet, I call it sweet potato casserole. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's what I think has the candy pecan topping. 
Help us yeah. out with this, guys. I don't know what to call it, but that's yeah, what I it's like. It's a casserole. I, I think it's a casserole. My mom on her Does recipe she, calls it a pie. A casserole. You dump everything in a bowl and mix it I up. I know. I've tried to tell her, Mom, this is not a pie. She's like, no, it's a pie. So like, I'm trying to be respectful of her. Probably it's a because casserole. it has a ton of sugar in it, would be my guess. I, but that, and see, that's the thing, Charlie. I don't, like, I don't get to have... I don't eat sweet potato casserole or pie, whatever you want to call it, in that macaroni and cheese, except for like two times a year. Thanksgiving... As long as I get the sweet potato casserole, I get macaroni and cheese on Thanksgiving and Christmas, but that's like it. So I just like when I get a chance to eat it, I am going to engorge myself with those two things. And yes, they are the standard. Why would I eat turkey if it doesn't taste no, as good I as the other stuff? You like, why eat. would I do that? Yeah, no. So macaroni and cheese and sweet potato casserole, got it. Like giant playfuls. Yes, right. that's that's that's. I know that's insane. I know that that's insane and i am weird but that is uh that's how my mind works and that is what i do but whatever all of you like to eat i hope all of you have an amazing thanksgiving i guess we'll be back one more episode before thanksgiving right with our pick show we're gonna do that a little earlier this week yes it okay. needs to be we need to do it i'll probably do it tomorrow soon probably gonna do it tomorrow it's got to be up can before you, the can, egg roll can you can you clear your schedule tomorrow can you make that happen i can make that work okay we'll make that happen but Alright guys, that's all we got for today. We definitely appreciate you guys being here with us. Make sure to check back. Uh, again, again, I think tomorrow. We're going to do this tomorrow. So I guess it'll be up on Wednesday for you guys before all the games start. We will have our Picks of the Week episode for you. But uh, for Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, Go dogs. <laughs>